Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. David, the only man referred to as a man after God's own heart. We meet David, the son of Jesse, when he is a teenager and is anointed as king of Israel. Soon after the anointing, he slays the Philistine giant Goliath and wins the overwhelming favor of the people. This sends the current king, Saul, into a jealous rage that forces David into years of running and hiding from his wrath. At the age of 30, David finally begins to rule over Israel and brings the Ark of the Covenant to its rightful place in Jerusalem, where he decides to build a temple of the Lord around it. But God wanted a man of peace to build the temple, not a man of war. So David is denied the honor of building the temple. God does assure him, though, that the throne of David will continue through his son, Solomon. Well, good morning, everybody. You can do better than that. Good morning, everybody. Much, much better. I... uh, told you last week that I was preaching because Pastor Ashwin was having a baby. Uh, Well, ladies and gentlemen, on Wednesday, little Amos showed up. Little Amos. And uh, now there are three little sons. Now there are three little sons. I said last week, it couldn't be easy, like three sons. Uh, But Amos has shown up, and I understand that he is as cute as a button. Uh, and uh, Ashwin, maybe will show us a picture next week. I'm not sure. Uh, now, I love the game of golf. Uh, j- just love to play golf. I understand we have new Canadians here and people who do not play golf. I have one word of advice for you. Do not take up the game of golf. Why? Why on heaven's earth would you pay good money to be extremely frustrated? Uh, Do not take it up. Uh, Do you know what happens when you play golf or or spell golf backwards? Uh, Flog. That would be more descriptive uh, of the game that I play. Would you kindly watch this, please? The secret to playing good golf is really quite simple. Don't hit two bad shots in a row. Everybody hits bad shots in golf as part of the game. But if you follow a bad shot with another bad shot, you're really in trouble. But the secret is, after you've hit a bad shot, if you can follow it with a good shot, you can often erase the mistake that you made and go on to shoot a very good score. Here we are at the beautiful Springbank Links Golf and Country Club. I've been playing really well, and I'm at the 18th hole, and I have a fairway so wide you could land the 747 on it. Nothing could go wrong. Oh! Oh, that was definitely a bad shot. Okay, well, I have hit that dreaded bad shot, and now I am in real trouble. 
If my adage is correct that the secret to playing good golf is not to hit two bad shots in a row, I've got to follow up this bad shot with a good one. And uh, the wise shot would be out here to get the ball back and play. I could still part the hole. But as I look here, I see a little window of opportunity. And I'm sorely tempted to hit the hero shot to get the ball on the green and, and maybe even birdie it. I know this is unwise, but I, I think I'm gonna give it a try. Oh no! Ah! Ugh! Ah! Well, here we are again. Uh, this is what I should have done. I had this beautiful opportunity to make a wise decision and uh, get myself out of trouble. Perfect. Well, I've made a good decision. I've put myself into a wonderful position. I'm just going to knock this ball onto the green. Oh, fantastic. Oh, look at that go. Great. Wow. Good things sure happen when you make good decisions. Wow. As in golf, so it is in life. The secret to living a successful life is not to pile up one bad decision after another, but if you can focus and concentrate on your life and make a good decision after a bad one, it's amazing how well you can recover from those mistakes in life. Which all leads me to say this very simple truth. The biggest decisions we make in our lives are those decisions we make after we've made bad ones. I can, uh, <laughs> I can tell you don't believe I put that ball there. Uh, shot the <laughs> Creative photography, my friends. Yeah, uh, here's our point. Uh, you, you can't make one mistake after another mistake. The biggest decisions we make in our lives are those decisions we make after we've made bad ones. You know, we all make mistakes. It's part of the human experience. We are going to mess up. But what you can't do is mess up again and again and again. If ever there was a time for wise decision-making, it's when I've made a mistake. I catch my breath. I calm down. Because now what I have to do must be wisdom. Because when I do that, I can often erase the mistakes that I have made. This morning, we're going to continue on in our series, and we're going to look at the life of David, and we're going to look at a terrible, terrible mistake that he made, and we're going to see the wise decisions that followed him, and that is instructive for our lives. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter, chapters 11 and 2 Cha Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 11, 2 Samuel chapter 12. And we're going to look at the sin of David. David's life is mostly famous because of two things uh, that happened. One was impressive 
and the other was not. It was very impressive that David killed the giant Goliath, knocked him dead and cut off his head, for those of you who want the gory details. What was not impressive was when David committed his sin, his sin with Bathsheba, uh, Uriah's wife, and ultimately committed sin against God. Uh, this is what we are going to look at. And the story is told to us um, in the 11th and 12th chapters. But it's told to us, listen, in two different ways. The sin of David. In chapter 11, we are told the story literally and historically as it happened with all of the gory details. In chapter 12, the story is told again, but it is told figuratively. It's told as a picture, or it's told as a parable, if you will. In chapter 11, in the historical account, we have the salacious details. In chapter 12, when we are told the story, we have the subtle details. In chapter 11, uh, we have a story that is for a mature audience only. Pastor Warren, are you saying that there are parts of the Bible that are for mature audiences only? Absolutely. I can think of some in the book of Genesis. And secondly, um, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 13, we have another story that we do not want our children to hear in Sunday school. There are stories in the Bible that are for mature audiences only. When the sin of David is told as a parable in chapter 12, it's a PG-13 account. You can tell children this story. And so, as I've repeated uh, several times, we want to look at what David did, the terrible, terrible thing that David did, but we want to focus on the decisions he made after he made his bad decision. So let's look at the parable in chapter 12, and um, let's begin. Uh, I trust you, many of you have your Bibles open. <clears throat> in Bible times, wealth was measured not so much by the gold and silver you had, although I guess that was uh, somewhat in account, but more likely your wealth was measured by much, how much livestock you had. And the Bible says in these opening verses that David had a lot of livestock. He had thousands and thousands and thousands of sheep, like little cotton balls. They, they, you could be spotted on the hillsides and in the valleys of Judea. David was very wealthy. There were sheep everywhere. In David's kingdom, there was a man named Uriah. And he had one little lamb. Note the contrast. David has thousands and thousands of sheep. Uriah has one little lamb. In verse 2 of chapter 12, we are told four things about this little lamb. Number one, Uriah had purchased it and was raising it as the family pet. Clearly, this was some, a little lamb that was very dear to him. He was raising it as his, daughters, as his daughters. The second thing we are told is that this little lamb would eat with Uriah at his table. 
the third thing we are told is that this little lamb would uh, drink from Uriah's cup. And the final thing that we are told is that he would uh, cuddle and he would hold this little lamb as he would one of his children. What a heartwarming story. You may not be a pet owner or necessarily a, uh, an animal lover, but you can't miss the warmth of this little story. Uh, Uriah had a little lamb. His fleece was white as snow, and everywhere Uriah went, the lamb was sure to go. David has thousands and thousands of sheep. Uriah has a little lamb. One day, David, the king, with all of this livestock, has a guest coming, and he wants to honor his guest and throw a great, guest, a great feast for his guest. You can see what's coming a mile away. Instead of David going into his own flocks to get a, a lamb to honor his guest, he goes and he steals Uriah's lamb, he kills it, and feeds it to his guest. And you're sitting there dumbstruck, as, as I am. How could anybody do that? Why couldn't he have gone to one of the hillsides and taken one of his lambs? Why did he have to take Uriah's lamb? It, it, it's, there, there are no words to explain what's happening here. Well, at least it can't get any worse, right? Oh, yes, it does. Because it's kind of embarrassing when you have all of these lambs and you kind of steal someone who just has one lamb. It's kind of embarrassing. So David does the unthinkable. And he has Uriah killed because he wants to keep this on the lamb. He doesn't want anybody to know. And it's a terrible, terrible thing that David does. This is a parable of what actually happens in chapter 11. If you want all of the details, go this afternoon or this evening and read the historical account of what David did. That lamb that David stole was Bathsheba. And he kills Uriah the husband, when this has come out, and we say to ourselves, my, my, how could anybody do something like this? I feel very angry at David. Very angry that he could do that, and you should too. Here we have the sweet psalmist of Israel, David, when he was a young boy, he was tending his father's flocks and there was a bear and a lion that attacked the flock and with the help of God, he was able to kill these scavengers. Here is David, the, the teenager who kills the great giant Goliath with the help of God. Here is the sweet psalmist of Israel who wrote the Psalms which we love and who penned Psalm 23, which we cherish. And we ask ourselves, how could he do this? What was he thinking? What evil has been done? You would be surprised what people are capable of. 
I am surprised what I am capable of. What happens next is, is interesting to us because we see in the following verse right here in our text that God knows and he sends his prophet Nathan to confront David for what he has done. I don't think Nathan makes an appointment. I think he marches right down the street, right up the steps of the palace, right through the gates, past the guards, past the staff. He walks into the, into the throne room and he stands before David. David is surprised to see him, but he takes his finger and he puts it in David's, in David's face. And he says to David, it's all here in our text, David, I know what you did. And David, you know what you did. And David, I know that you know that I know what you did. And David, God knows what you did. It's amazing to me, this story. It's amazing to me what this man that we respect and love what he did, what was he thinking? What happens next is very interesting to me. Because the Bible says, verses 13, 14, specifically verse 15, it's right here in front of you, that the first thing David says, and he does, is he bows down low and he confesses to what he did. I remind you that David is the most powerful monarch on earth. He could do whatever he wanted to do, and he did whatever he wanted to do. He could have killed Nathan. He had killed Uriah to keep this all hush-hush. He could have buried this. He could have hid this because he was the king. But it's interesting to me that the first thing David does is he bows down low and he confesses, yes, I did this. When Uriah says to him, you are the man, David humbly says, yes, I am the man. Do you know how rare that is? For people to own what they have done? Think of all of our politicians over the years. We hear this on the news uh, almost on a daily basis, all of our politicians, they get caught in a scandal. And what do they do? Deny, deny, deny. I have never once heard a politician say, yes, this is what I did. I don't know what I was thinking. I am so sorry and ashamed of myself. I take responsibility for what I've done. Never heard that. Think of our athletes, our, our Olympians. I think of a particular cyclist who are caught in these doping scandals. What do they always do? Deny, deny, deny. I have never once heard an athlete say, yes, this is what I did. I take responsibility. I own this. All of the priests caught up in scandals who hide behind their church and deny, 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 unless we become self-righteous, our pastors uh, who have become involved in scandals, they deny. Oh, there often is repentance long after the fact, but the first initial response is to deny, deny, deny. And David, the most powerful man on earth, bows down low and says, I am 
the man? The great question this morning is some of us in this room, a room this size, there, some of us, we've messed up really bad. We've made terrible, terrible decisions that we can't believe that we did what we did, but we did what we did. Are you and I prepared to own and take responsibility for what we have done? You know how you can mess up your life? How you can M-E-S-S up your life? M, minimize. E, make an excuse. S, shift responsibility. Yeah, I did that, but you did that. Or S, stick to your guns. I didn't do anything wrong. Do that, and you will mess up your life. Because you see what happens when we refuse to take responsibility for the things that we have done wrong, there will always be an undercurrent in our lives that will sabotage our lives. When you don't face yourself, when you don't face your addiction, when you don't face your problem, when you don't face your bad decision, when you minimize, excuse, shift responsibility, or stick to your guns, there will always, I promise you this, there will always be an undercurrent that will sabotage your life. You know, um, there are a lot of things I don't understand. I, I'm not a smart man. <laughs> I still don't understand those airplanes up there. How come they don't fall down? People have explained it to me. I still don't get it. I don't understand how a black cow that eats green grass produces white milk and yellow butter. Can somebody explain that to me? Here's one that happened to me again this morning. I don't understand how the coffee I make in this steam kettle stays hotter longer than the coffee I make in the microwave. Somebody explain that to me. But here's what I know. If you do not face your addiction, your problem, your bad decision, if you don't humbly and honestly own it, there will always be an undercurrent which sabotages your precious, precious life. Conversely, when you humbly own your reality and say, I'm the man, this is true of my life, there is a, a healing power released by God, breathed from God into your life, and you can move to recovery and to healing and to health. We all know in our recovery and 12-step programs here at Center Street that we have to bring people to the place of personal accountability. It's a terrible thing to lie to other people, but here's something that's worse. It's a terrible thing to lie to yourself. And you have to honestly face your issues. And when you do that, you're off to the races. You're on your way to recovery. You see, we all have a response ability. A response ability. An ability to respond. And when you respond humbly, taking ownership of what you have done, 
You're going to be fine. You can recover from any bad choice that you've made. I'm asking you here in this room who have been burdened by a mistake to just do this simple thing and it will set you free, I promise you. There's a second thing that David did that I wanted to share with you. And before I do that, I just have to give you a little bit of a background. Do not think for two seconds that David got off lightly because of what he had done. Because he killed Uriah's lamb, took Uriah's lamb, and killed him. Do not think that he just got forgiven and he went off to, to be the king and lived happily ever after. You have no idea the grief that David paid because of his sin. Number one, it became public. Everybody knew about it in Israel. You know about it. All of Israel's enemies, they knew what David had done, and they mocked him and treated him and his God with great scorn because of what he did. The Bible says here before us in verses 13 and 14 that the, the sword never left David's family. I told you last week that David had 15 children. You have no idea. I mean, dysfunction doesn't even begin to describe what happened in his family. It is horrific beyond words. The infighting, the, the sexual immorality in his family, the killing that happened between his children. It was staggering. David's son, Absalom, decided one day to rebel against his father. That's not uncommon. Children rebel against their father, but they don't try to take over their kingship. Absalom actually tried to have David killed so, he, so that he could become, place, to become king rather in his father's place. And the Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 15 that one day Absalom, who had this beautiful, long, flowing hair, he's riding along this trail on his mule, and he comes to an oak thicket, an oak overhanging oak branch. And I don't know how it happened. I, I have no idea. But as he's riding underneath this low-hanging oak branch, his hair gets caught in this branch. He's suspended there in space, and the mule just keeps on walking. Uh, you should read the Bible, people. It's, it's fascinating. <laughs> One of David's generals, who is angry at Absalom for rebelling against his dad, takes a spear and thrusts it three times into Absalom's heart. And when King David finds out, when King David finds out that his son is killed, he cries that well-known cry, my son, my son. There is no grief. Some of you in this room know that. There is no grief like losing a child. And David lost the son who rebelled against him, the son that he loved. The sword in David's family never went away. He paid a great price. The baby that was born as a result of David's sin with Bathsheba and against her husband Uriah, that little baby died. 
And David says in Psalm chapter 32, verse 4, verses 3 and 4, he says, the hand of the Lord was heavy upon me. I don't know what that means when the Bible says the hand of the Lord can be heavy upon you, but I don't think it's very good. He suffered, and sometimes we pay a great price for our mistakes. Sometimes we just have to live with what we've done. But what happens next is very, very, very interesting. It says in chapter 12 and verse 20, then, then, after a prolonged period of self-introspection, after a long period of healing and growth and coming to terms with what he had done, the Bible says then. See it there? Then David, he does three things. He washes himself. He puts on lotions. He changes his clothes and he eats something. Then. People said to him, well, David, uh, you seem to be getting over this rather quickly. And, and, and David said, you know, I have grieved, I have mourned, I've done a serious personal inventory, I'm trying to make amends, but I have a kingdom to rule, I have people who are depending on me, there is still work to do, I cannot be paralyzed by what I have done. I, I've got to live again. As serious as what I did was, I have to live again. And so he washes himself, puts on lotion, changes his clothes, and he eats. And he goes back to what God has called him to do. Here is how this is instructive. Because some of us have become paralyzed by the mistakes that we have made. We're not minimizing this. They're, they're serious mistakes. It, it may have been a moral failure, or maybe we had a marriage and we did something and, and it caused our marriage to fall apart, or maybe you've done something with your children or you lost the family money. I think of all the mistakes that we can make, but what you have been doing over time and over time and over time as you, is you have been beating yourself up and you have become paralyzed and you are laying in a pile in a heap of defeat and you cannot do that anymore. And David would not do that anymore. There were people depending on him. He had to get up and get going. So you made your mistake when you were 30 years old. Does that mean for the next 50 years of your life, you're just, you're just going to wither and dither and, and die? Die while you still live? You made your mistake when you're 40, halfway through your life. Does that mean the second half of your life is just going to be wasted and you're going to live in a pile of, of defeat? You're 50, 60. Life is precious. Your days are precious. It is unacceptable to go on the sidelines to get out of the game. It is unacceptable to give up because of a mistake we made in the past. We have a great God. We have an overcoming gospel. We have a God who forgives and rejuvenates and re replenishes and heals and forgives. And we've got to take a hold of that. You cannot stay in your pile of defeat. You have to rise again. You have to do that. Now listen to me. 
David did that. David did that. And you can do that too. We all mess up. I guarantee you the mistakes that you've been made, that you made, that you think is so serious has been made by many people here in this room. We pastors, we love to preach for all who've sinned and you're all sinners. And then when people sin, we're terribly surprised. <laughs> I'm not trying to minimize the mistakes we have made. But we have a great God and you have a great future. You bury what's dead and you live again for the glory of God. I want to conclude by looking at a prayer that David prayed in Psalm chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51 and verse 10. Let the word, words of David speak from, from his heart. Have mercy on me, O God, he prays. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all of my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me against you and you only have I sinned and I did what was evil in your sight. Cleanse me, wash me, let me hear, the, hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart. Oh God, create in me a clean heart. Oh God. I love that word create. I want to teach you something just very briefly. Just give me another moment or two. Whenever you want to understand a word in the Bible, it's always a good idea to look where the, that word appears the first time in the Bible. Because if you find out where that word is mentioned the first time in the Bible, it will give you a boatload of information on the word you're trying to learn about. If, for example, you're studying about sin in, in the book of Romans, you want to know like, what are the, what's the nature of sin, and etc., etc. If you go back to the first time it's mentioned in the Bible, you'll get all this information on what sin's all about. So when David says, create in me a clean heart, create, where, where's the first time that, um, uh, I've heard that, uh, uh, where's the first time that's mentioned in the Bible? Um, Bruce? Oh, Genesis 1-1. I, I should have, you'd think a pastor would know that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. With the word of his mouth, God calls the world into being. With the word of his mouth, he calls the stars and the planets and the galaxies and the universe. Uh, I understand there's more than one universe now. There are multi-universes. He's the God over all, and he, he creates everything in all of its glory and its splendor, and he does it out of darkness and void and nothingness. And I think what David is saying here is that the creator has be, got to be called in again. 
The creator has got to be called in again because I have a heart with destructive patterns. I have a heart that makes poor choices. I have a heart that makes mistakes again and again and again. And I need the creator to be called in again to recreate, not renovate, not try to improve externally. I need a God who will create and make a totally clean heart inside of me because I cannot do this on my own. You need to pray that prayer over and over again as I certainly do myself. Oh God, create a new heart, a heart that yearns for you, a heart which seeks to please you, a heart that brings you joy and refrains from these destructive tendencies and choices that I often make. David made a horrific decision, and I still, I, I can't get over it. I still feel quite angry at him. That was a terrible thing. But I see a man who owns what he did, who refused to be paralyzed, and who reached out to God humbly, asking for a new heart. And maybe I can forgive him. Because maybe his story too often is my story, and I dare not judge him because of what I have done. We're all through. Uh, I have here at the front some cards that, uh, with a T, Tea, a golf tea, a T-E-E, tea, take responsibility, it says on here, end your paralysis and express this prayer, creating me a clean heart. What you do is you take the golf tea, you put it in your golf bag or give it to a, a certain pastor if, you're, if you don't play golf. And then you take the, this card and it'll be a reminder of what you do when you make a mistake and when you sin. Let's bow for a prayer. Dear Lord in heaven, our messes are pretty big sometimes. The mess we make of our lives, but your grace is even greater. Lord, your grace is so amazing. It's so big, but it has to be to cover the mistakes that we have made. We want to thank you this morning that you are the God of the second chance, the God of the third chance. Some of us need many, many more chances, but will you bear with us? You keep loving us. You keep drawing us. And Lord, finally, help us to forgive ourselves for the mistakes that we have made. We sometimes find it easier to embrace your forgiveness than to forgive ourselves. Help us to learn the secret of making good decisions after we've made bad ones. For we ask it in your precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter 